Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 through 17, which you'll find in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 888 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Amos 7, verse 7. This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to hear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in the unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed. For those of you who are watching us online, for those of you who are here with us this morning, it's a, it's a real delight for me to be standing here. And I want you to know that since the early spring, I have been reading very slowly and very carefully the books of the prophet. And I mean, it's a, it's a huge undertaking. Actually, it's maybe early, it's sooner than early spring. I started reading through the books of Isaiah 
and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Amos and just kind of working my way through those prophetic books. Much of it I don't necessarily understand. A lot of it is landing in places in my life, but I've been reading it and it, it, it dawned on me that one of the things we could do through the rest of this summer is to read those sections in scripture from the prophetic books small sections that we will read each Sunday from the prophetic books to inform our thinking, to understand the timeless wisdom that is found in these prophetic writings. And so as I've been reading them, I keep asking myself, what would Amos say? What would Isaiah say? What would Jeremiah say? What would Micah say if they visited our churches, if they walked around the city of Chicago and looked at the American culture today, what would they say about our love for guns? What would they say about our mass shootings? And for those of you who read the newsletter that went out this past week, I shared with you that I've lived in America for 41 years now, and I've never ever missed a a Fourth of July observance and the celebration involved with that. This was the first time. The mass shooting that happened up in Highland Park, the mass shootings that happened on the same day in the city of Chicago, shootings that happened in Philadelphia and around the country. What's, what's happening here? What would the prophet say? Is there any word from the Lord regarding our nation's lack of unity? Is there any word from the Lord regarding the spiritual temperature of the church in North America? What would the prophets say? Now, I haven't spoken to them, and if I tell you I've spoken to them, then you need to come and, uh, and examine me. I haven't spoken to them, but I've been reading their words. And I think Amos possibly would say that justice, even in this country, is poisoned and that the poor in this country at so many levels are still being oppressed. I think Isaiah would, would find much of our religious practices to be lacking, that, that, that hot, white-hot kind of devotion to God, he would say, is missing, that Maybe much of what's happening in the North American church, we're kind of just going through the motions. It's just, uh, you know, it's like you show up for the movie. Hosea, what would he say? He would still find that there is spiritual adultery among the people of God, idolatry. And Micah, what would Micah say? Micah would still find entrenched corruption on all levels, on all levels, among clergy, among politicians, among our judicial system, Micah would be, would be able to spot the inconsistencies and the corruption in all sectors of our society. So this morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to read snippets from the prophet Amos. Have you ever read the prophet Amos? It has nine chapters. It's not very long. I would encourage you to read it this week. Who was Amos? Amos was a prophet 
who prophesied between the reigns of Jeroboam, who lived in the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel. You know, by this time, the kingdom was divided, much like America, between the north and the south. And then he prophesied also uh, during the reign of Uzziah, who was king in Judah. His name means burden, burden or burden bearer. And really, his true vocation was that Amos was a farmer. He was a farmer. He came from the farming community of Tekoa. And God called him, and Amos then travels north to Bethel, the home of King Jeroboam. And he arrives in that region loaded down. You you can imagine him carrying the weight of God's word on his shoulders as he makes his way to Bethel. Before answering the call, though, as I said, Amos was a shepherd. He was a farmer. He took care of sycamore trees. And as far as I can tell, Amos doesn't come through the traditional route like Isaiah, who came from a priestly family. He doesn't come from a school of prophets. He's not an appointee serving in the king's administration. He was not the son of a priest. And so the question then is, how does one go from being a farmer and a shepherd to becoming a prophet? And the short answer, the short answer is that God calls. And all these people that you saw standing here this morning, God called them. And you who are sitting in the pews and you who are watching online, I want you to know that God has called you. And what happens when God calls us is that we have this uneven response. Some of us hear it and we say, next week, Lord. Some of us hear it and we say, Lord, I can't do it right now. Others of us hear the call as we were hearing in the song, here I am, Lord, I will go. Amos was one of those guys who said, I will go. That's the short answer. The longer answer is that, the more interesting answer is that Amos was part of what the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls sub-communities. These are people who are part of communities that stand in tension with the dominant community. Think of people like John the Baptist, John the Baptist was not part of the dominant community. He was on the edges. He was on the fringes. People like Elijah, they just don't seem to fit in. People like Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day. These are people who don't drink the Kool-Aid. And could this be what Jesus meant when Jesus said, Jesus said these words, that you, because you do not belong to the world, He says, I've chosen you out of the world. We're in the world, but we don't drink the Kool-Aid that the world is serving up. The kingdom of God is a sub-community. It stands in tension with the values and the practices of the dominant world. And it is often from these sub-communities that the prophet emerges. And I want you to know that these are people, they're human beings, but they are not asleep. They live with their eyes wide open. They have hearts just like you and me. And if Amos was here, he would be breaking and weeping and he would be angry at what happened on July 4th in Highland Park in Chicago, in Philadelphia and all across this country. 
They feel the pain. They feel the disorder. They feel the chaos around them. But these are people who are also in touch. They live ordinary spiritual lives. They're in touch with God. They hear from God. They understand that God has a better design for human flourishing. Even though they don't see it, they believe it. These are people, and that's why they're people of hope. They believe that the darkness and the violence and the oppressive, soul-crushing forces of the dominant culture will not last forever. And that's why these people are people who get up and go. They act. They're not passive. They're not head in the sand, stay in the temple kind of church people. They have a heart for God. And the thing about these prophets is that they do three things, as far as I can tell, as I've read it. One of the things they do is they look into the future. They have imagination and what's going on around them. They look into the future and they talk about a day that's coming. And you read the prophets. That's where Jesus says, have you read the prophets? The prophets speak of me. They look into the future, but they look at what's happening around them. And when they see what's happening around them, they criticize. They criticize, but they also energize. And they call people to repent and to turn from God. And if you can understand this idea of God's kingdom as a sub-community, we're, we're, we're not isolationists. We're not members of the Essenes. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we live in tension, in tension with the dominant culture. If you can just understand that, then you will begin to understand that this is how prophets emerge. This is how God raises up the prophets. And so when you look at verse 7 in your Bible, we read these words that the Lord comes to Amos, and Amos has already seen Four, there are four visions that he sees. This is vision number three. And God shows Amos the vision of a plumb line. This is what he showed me, Amos said. The Lord was standing beside a wall. The wall was built with a plumb line. With a plumb line. God was standing there with a plumb line in his hand. And you say, well, what's a plumb line? Why a plumb line? Well, you can just look at the picture and you can tell. A plumb line is a string with a metal weight at the end of it. And when the string is held up, the weight, the metal weight at the bottom, pulls the string down by gravity, and the result is that you get, you get a straight line, you get a true vertical. And so the vision of the Lord standing by a wall with a plumb line in his hand says that this wall was built, this wall was built with a plumb line, and in other words, if a building inspector comes along to inspect the building, the building is going to pass because it is built to plumb. But then the Lord extends the analogy. And notice what the Lord says. I am setting a plumb line. Where? In the midst of my people Israel. And I will never again pass them by. So yes, the plumb line helps us to, to get our angles right, to make sure that the building is sound, to make sure that it has structural integrity. But God also has his own plumb line that he uses to measure and assess the structural integrity of his people. 
And the question that I've been asking myself, and the question I want you to be asking yourself is, am I aligned with God's plumb line? Well, according to Amos's weighty words, the sum total of what he said to the people was, you guys failed the test. And the Lord, and we know, we know that's true because the Lord says, I will never again pass them by. What does he mean by that? I'm never going to, I'm now going to start holding them accountable. And this is where it gets hard to be a prophet. Amos delivers some very harsh words. That's why it's called the burden of the Lord. He bears it. And by bearing the burden of the Lord, it makes you unpopular. Who, who likes to be unpopular? Who wants to be called out? Who wants to be criticized? But Amos bears that burden. And what he has to say sounds so mean-spirited. It makes him unpopular. And he says to them, the high places of Isaac will be made desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. And listen, when you read through prophets and you see the reference to high places, read worship of idols. Those high places are going to be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. And God says, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. What is he saying? The 10 northern tribes of Israel are going to be swept away. Jeroboam is going to be overthrown. Those are not popular words. And that's why when you read in verses 10 through 13, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to King Jeroboam and said, Amos is conspiring against you. He's saying some stuff against you at the very center of your house and the land. And this is an interesting phrase. He says, the land cannot bear all his words. Amos's name. What is Amos's name again? It means what? Burden bearer. And the land can't bear Amos's words. And Amos takes the weight. He takes the weight, my brothers and sisters, of God's word, and he lays it before the people. Maybe he lays it on the people, and suddenly the faulty pagan structures that they had built, built by the, the renegade King Jeroboam, it begins to tremble under the weight of God's word. And Amaziah continues in verse 11. He says, For thus Amos has said that Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And then in verse 12, Amaziah says to Amos, O seer, and that's another phrase you will see when you read through the prophet, seer. It just means one who sees the prophet. Flee, flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there. And I underlined that in my notes. Earn your bread there and prophesy there. And I find that to be a put down because what he's saying about Amos is that you're a hired hand. That's all you are. You're here telling these bad things to us because somebody is greasing your hand and paying you to say the words that you're saying. And he says to him, never again prophesy at Bethel because it's the king's sanctuary and it's a temple of the kingdom. You see that? Amaziah, a false priest serving an apostate king, leading a nation that has put God behind them, cannot bear God's divine examination. And what does Amaziah do? As many of us do, we protest, we threaten, we cancel, 
we minimize, we dismiss, and that's what Amaziah was doing to Amos. But notice Amos's response. Amos says, he says to them, I am no prophet. I am no prophet. And I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm just a herdsman. I have the lowliest job you could ever have. I'm just taking care of sheep. And I just take care of sycamore trees. But then he says, how did I get here? Look at verse 15. It was the Lord who took me from, he didn't even say leading the flock. Come on now. He said, the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Amos, I've got something else for you to do. Go prophesy to my people Israel. What is Amos doing? Amos is ignoring the protestations of this jellyfish priest who actually is getting paid to speak empty religious lies. Amos says, look, you cannot touch me. You cannot intimidate me. I'm not a prophet. I don't come from a family of prophets. I'm just a nobody. I was following sheep. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody that God is on the move. And the Lord took me from raising sheep. The Lord took me from caring for sycamore trees. He was the one who signed me up for this mission. So you're, you're, you're really speaking to the wrong person. Speak to my boss. He told me to travel north and speak his word. And then Amos seems to kind of double down. And he says in verses 16 and 17, Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of house of Isaac, but listen to what the Lord says. And friends, this is harsh. Buckle in. This is harsh. Your wife, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land is going to be parceled out by lying. You yourself, speaking to Amaziah, speaking to Jeroboam, you yourself will die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. And friends, people say, well, God's word isn't true. We go back and read the history of the Assyrians, the history of Sennacherib. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian ruler Sennacherib invaded the northern part of Israel where the ten tribes were located. And yes, he took them into exile. And yes, he destroyed the worship centers that were in Dan and in Bethel. And those ten tribes never, never, never returned to the land and to the life that they once had. I want you to hear me this morning, Amos didn't speak these words in downtown Bethel to the guy going into the bank or to the woman selling tomatoes on the street corner. Amos said these words to the church people, to the priests and the pastors and the religious people. Amaziah's response, and this is really the heart of what I want to say to you before I take my seat, Amaziah's response shows the occupational hazard that casual religion poses for all of us. 
casual religion. It's an occupational hazard. It's better to be hot. It's better to be cold. It's better to bow the knee. It's better to reject him, but don't sort of sit in the middle, sit on the fence, one foot in, one foot out. You're either in or you're out, and that's the danger. Frederick Buechner, Frederick Buechner said this. He says that good news is only finally good to those who are first willing to face up to the bad news that precedes it. Amaziah wasn't ready because he didn't want to hear the bad news, so he wouldn't be ready for the good news. The healing words of the gospel are embraced best, hear me now, by those who accept the plumb line of the gospel. The plumb line of the gospel says that for all have sinned, and that's medicine. I know, I'm, listen, I know it's negative, and nobody in America likes negative, but before you get to the good stuff, you got to drink the bad stuff, and the gospel says all have sinned. That means Ray Hilton has sinned. That's where it starts. Think of King David, who for a while was, was sort of hiding out, obfuscating, denying, rejecting, and when Nathan came to him and said, you know, there's a woman whose husband in your army was killed, she's now pregnant, and David said, what? And Nathan says, you're the man, you are the victimizer. David, his cover was blown, he got on his knees and he says, I have sinned. He got the bad news, he accepted it, and that led him into the good news. I think of Peter trying to catch fish all night, and Jesus was in the boat with him, and Jesus says, let's go out here. And when, they, when Peter saw the large catch of fish, he recognized that he was in the presence of God. He fell to his knees, and he said, Lord, you don't want to have anything to do with me. I am a sinner. No excuses, no deflections, full admission, guilty as charge. You see, what happens to us, and this is the occupational hazards of casual religion, when we compare ourselves to others, guess what? We're going to find a way to say, well, at least I don't have that problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't have that one. I'm a little bit better here because I don't, I don't do what they do. That's, what, that's, what, that's the occupational hazard of, of casual religion. We, we, we compare ourselves to other people, and then we deflect we tell ourselves, here's the other thing we do. We tell ourselves, well, you know, I'm not that bad. And what are we doing when we tell ourselves that? We're dodging the truth about ourselves. And I think what the words of Amos do for us this morning is that his words challenge our proclivity to measure the integrity of our lives by moi, by me, how I feel, what I think, my opinion my rights, and therefore I must be right. And if that's your standard, my friends, we're in trouble. Here's something I thought about. I want to share this with you. It's very important. It's very important that we remember that personal evaluation, which we need to evaluate ourselves personally, but always remember that personal evaluation and divine evaluation are never equal. Just because you feel you're okay, just because you feel you didn't do anything wrong, just because you think you're right, just because it's your opinion, well, we got to go further. What's the plumb line? What's God's measurement? What is God saying? So, two ways we can respond to this. 
And I would offer this to you this morning. When God measures our lives, what God would want of us is that there is humility. And why do I say that? I like to remind myself, I like to remind the members of our staff that we don't have 360-degree vision of the state of our lives. We just don't. I can't see what's behind me. I just can't. I had a memorial service here at the church yesterday in the morning, and I was going out the door, and Judas said, what's this on the back of your jacket? Well, I didn't know it was back there. She caught it, though. There are things about me that I don't know about me. There are things about you that you don't know about you. And so one of the things we have to do as God's people is walk low to the ground, walk close to the ground, humble ourselves before God and before other people, because often what we see and learn about ourselves, it's coming sometimes, most times, from outside of us. And so when somebody comes to you and gives you feedback, when somebody gives you a word, don't shoot the messenger. Don't pull an Amaziah-type behavior on them. Don't shut your ears. Don't look in the mirror like Narcissus or in that looking pond and admire all of your perfections or tell yourself you have all those perfections. Ask, based on what I'm hearing, what in this feedback is true? Could they be right? Let me stop. Let me lay down my weapons and let me just examine, could this be true? I'm not a glutton for punishment. It's painful when somebody says, you know, you missed that. You could have done that better. Oh, it just pricks at my ego. But if you listen, you're going to grow. If you listen and embrace it and say, Lord, help me to change. The second thing, the second thing is to be quick to listen. Be quick to listen and amend your ways when the plumb line of God falls in your life. Because here's the reason why God shows us ourselves. God doesn't show us ourselves because God is ticked off. God doesn't show us ourselves because God doesn't love us and is just looking for someone to zap. No, God shows us ourselves because God wants us to know him. And God wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to walk in his will. But some of us ignore God's word. In America today, Personal feelings trumps the objective word of God. And when we do that, friends, we run the risk of an even greater problem. And I don't know if you've ever read this verse before. If you can see the words. Scriptures tell us, this is from the words of Amos again, that the days are coming. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of God. That's the plumb line, in case you're not sure what I'm talking about. The word of God is the plumb line. And the days are coming, and the days are already here, when people will not endure, they will not sit under and hear doctrine, teaching, biblical precepts anymore. And God says, when that begins to happen, when we shut our ears, our ears become insensitive, and suddenly there's a drought. There's a drought in our churches, and we're no longer hearing the word of God. There's a drought in our communities. And to me, that is scary. So what do we do? 
When God sends a word, we listen, we humble ourselves. We say, Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, help us to listen, help us to believe that you really want us to know you and you want us to know ourselves. When the plumb line of the gospel comes and it says, you, are, you have sinned, you are flawed. Just say to yourself, God, I am not above divine scrutiny. I'll never be good enough by myself to fix my life. But thank you for the plumb line of the gospel because the good news of the gospel declares that Christ, our Savior, did what we could never do. He lived in full surrender to God's word. He gave his life on the cross, not just for the sin of Israel. He gave his life for the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and by his grace we're saved. But to get to that good part, we've got to hear the bad part. We've got to hear the news, hear the message. We have sinned. We embrace that reality and say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. I want to live my life for you, Lord. Help me to do that. And when we do that, Jesus says we will be like the wise man, the wise woman who built his house, not on sand. When we respond to God in the way that God wants us to respond, Jesus says you're going to be like that wise man or woman who built their house, not on sand, but on a rock. And the winds came and the floods came, and the house stood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.